Welcome to another edition of Wellbeing. During the many programs we've presented on health, fitness and general wellbeing, I can't recall ever having presented one on epilepsy. So today is when we're going to correct this, and to help me I have Denise Chapman, Counselling Services Manager, Epilepsy Australia for New South Wales. Denise, thank you for agreeing to talk to me today. Perhaps I can start by asking you how you became involved with the organisation. In 1993, um, when, I, when I first became involved with epilepsy in general, and uh, since then I've been involved with the writing and publications and training side of epilepsy as a community. And have you always been in this current position? In this position since 2002, although I've worked in this field in various roles for the past 15 years. I know that you've written at least one publication on the subject, and it's called Seizures First Aid. Um, are there any others? Over the years, I've authored much of the consumer material that is currently in the public domain in Australia, but other specific um, publications include co-authoring Epifile, which is an epilepsy management manual with Russell Pollard, our executive director, and that was in 2002. And I've authored the content of the Epilepsy Australia website, and I'm also the editor and writer for the Epilepsy Report, which is a free magazine for consumers published biannually by Epilepsy Australia. So it sounds like you've been a busy girl. (laughs) It's a very interesting and um, exciting field to be working in and the writing of it is very rewarding. I grew up in an era when if someone had a convulsion, very few people knew what to do to help that person and we were often quite afraid of the whole episode. Is this still the attitude of some people? Unfortunately so. But as with most things, misplaced fear stems generally from a lack of knowledge. Mm. You know, throughout history, epilepsy has been feared and stigmatised and the myths and misconceptions that surround it still underpin the attitudes held by many people today, such as people with epilepsy are mentally retarded or brain damaged, that epilepsy is contagious, that people with epilepsy can't marry or have children, that they can't drive, or they will be problem employees with high absenteeism and on-the-job accidents. So as you can see, it's these misplaced beliefs that can make it very difficult for a person with epilepsy to be open about their condition and it forces many to keep it hidden as if it's something to be ashamed of, which it definitely is not. Are the public more aware these days of what happens to a patient who has these episodes? Well, your listeners may be surprised to hear that according to the World Health Organisation, epilepsy is the most common serious neurological condition in the world today affecting more than 50 million people and in Australia it's estimated that up to 400,000 people live with epilepsy. So getting the message out that epilepsy is not a condition to be feared and knowing what to do if someone has a seizure can make a very real difference to those who live with unpredictable seizures and this is very much a priority of Epilepsy Australia. In recent years we've run several campaigns using community service announcements on TV and radio and our seizure first aid campaign featuring George Gregan encouraged all Australians to be seizure aware by contacting us for a seizure first aid kit. And this campaign was very successful with more than 20,000 kits delivered to Australian households nationally. 
And in 2007 alone, more than 27,000 people accessed our services Australia-wide and we distributed in excess of 190,000 pieces of epilepsy-related information. And these requests came from people with epilepsy themselves and their families, from teachers, employers, people working in aged care and disability and community service groups such as Rotary and John's Ambulance and the Country Women's Association. And our school awareness program in 2007 reached more than 48,000 primary and high school students. So I believe public education is definitely improving, but we still have a long way to go. Our goal is for every household to be seizure aware, and this can easily be achieved if everyone downloaded the seizure first aid information and first aid poster from our website or called our helpline for information to be sent to them and displayed it at home and in the workplace. Denise, before we finish, I'll get the telephone number and the website addresses from you. Yes, absolutely. But in the meantime, is there a general age when seizures are likely to start? Seizures are most common in young children and the elderly, but they can occur for the first time at any age. If it affects the young, can the younger ones grow out of the condition? This is usually impossible to answer. Some epilepsies occur in childhood and of these about a third disappear at adulthood while other epilepsies continue throughout life. So there's obviously a great deal of variance in the degree of of the strength of the seizure? In in the type of epilepsy and the cause. A lot of this um, depends on the underpinning cause of the epilepsy, whether there is a a familial um, genetic base and it's a, a diagnostic and pro- prognosis decision. I'd like to go into a bit more detail shortly, but can you give us some brief explanation of exactly what a seizure is? Well, the brain controls our body's actions, our sensations and emotions through nerve cells that carry messages between the brain and the body. These messages are transmitted through regular electrical impulses. And a seizure occurs when a sudden burst of electrical activity in the brain disrupts this pattern. The kind of seizure and the parts of the body affected relates to the part of the brain in which the irregular electrical activity occurred. Seizures can involve a loss of consciousness, a range of unusual movements, odd feelings and sensations or changed behaviour. It doesn't necessarily mean that if someone has for example, loses consciousness, that they're actually having an an epileptic fit, do they? No, no, it doesn't. Blackouts or a loss of consciousness can result from a host of different causes such as cardiovascular, neurological and psychiatric. And the vast majority of episodes are due to cardiovascular causes such as abnormal heart rhythm, blood pressure, causing fainting or syncope. So it's very specific thing, a seizure is a very specific event that's happening. You're listening to Wellbeing and my guest today is Denise Chapman. Denise, you've given us an overall description of a seizure, but I'd like to go into a bit more detail if you don't mind. Does it run in families? It can, but epilepsy is a common disorder and frequently within an extended family, more than one person may have seizures. Sometimes there's a family history of seizures, including febrile seizures, seizures caused by fever, 
epilepsy or seizures in childhood that later went into remission. Benign focal childhood epilepsy, childhood absence epilepsy and juvenile myoclonic epilepsy are epilepsy syndromes that tend to run in families and are thought to have a genetic basis. A child of a parent with epilepsy may or may not develop the disorder. Family history is a risk factor, but with many people with epilepsy, um, they have children who never develop it. So it's not a, a foregone conclusion that if mum or dad or both have epilepsy that will go on to their children? No, um, we, do, we do see that if the, both the mother and the father have epilepsy of what we call an idiopathic cause, that's when the epilepsy is occurring for no known reason, rather than a person who's developed epilepsy from, say, a head injury or a tumour or um, something that has mm. a symptom of another injury, um, in those cases there's probably a higher risk, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the child will have epilepsy. Sometimes we hear about children who are very sick from another cause, who go into convulsions because of a high temperature. Does this develop or can this develop into epilepsy? Our statistics would tell us that um, if a child has one convulsion or febrile convulsion because of a high fever, um, the risk is not very high at all. But if the child has recurring febrile convulsions, about a third of those, children may go on to develop epilepsy. Once it's been diagnosed, can it successfully be treated with medication? Yes, around 60% of people diagnosed with epilepsy are likely to achieve complete seizure control with medication. I mean, there will be those whose epilepsy will be more difficult to control and this often depends on the underlying cause and while complete seizure control may not be achievable, medication can greatly reduce the seizure frequency. What's the mildest type that can occur? Well, all seizures impact on a person's well-being. While certain symptoms may appear to be mild, for example, a simple partial seizure that causes a limb to jerk or cause tingling in the fingers and when the person is alert throughout the event, for the person experiencing the seizure, it's often extremely distressing as they know that they can't control it. And in the case of children who have absent seizures, and these are the very brief uh, seizures that occur for only one or two seconds, and while they have no recollection of the event, and it is over in a matter of seconds, these seizures can have a major impact on the child's learning and self-esteem. And also if these seizures go undetected over time, they can progress to a convulsive seizure. So mild and severe is not really a good way of um, describing seizures. Each seizure is a unique event in itself and has an impact. Do the patients always remember if they've had an event? No, that depends on the type of seizure the person has. In the case of a focal or simple partial seizure, the person remains alert throughout the episode and can remember what happens, such as the jerking limb or an unpleasant taste or smell. And if a person has a complex partial seizure or a convulsive seizure where consciousness is lost or impaired, they will not remember the event. They may recall feeling a seizure coming on, but at the event itself, no, they'll have no memory of it. I mean, if you witness someone having a seizure, the most important thing 
stay calm and remain with the person. Note the time so you can check how long the seizure lasts. And in the event of a convulsive seizure, clear the area to protect the person from injury and we place something soft under their head and loosen any tight clothing. And then gently roll the person on their side when the jerking movements have stopped and we firmly push the angle of the jaw forward to assist with breathing. And a person cannot swallow their tongue, but the tongue can roll back or move back and restrict breathing. And as the person comes around, talk to them and establish communication so that you know they've regained consciousness. And then reassure them they're okay. And we stay with them while they recover. And this can be from, say, 5 to 20 minutes, depending on their recovery. But there's things not to do. Don't try and restrain their movements. You do not force anything into their mouth, nor give them water, pills or food until they're fully alert. I mean, generally seizures last around three minutes, but when you're witnessing a seizure, the time can seem much longer. And this is the reason we ask people to take a note of the time. If the seizure activity, and that's the jerking movements, lasts more than five minutes, you should call an ambulance. And while most seizures stop by themselves, in some cases they don't. And prolonged seizures, or a series of seizures, one starting fairly quickly after another one is stopped, do require medical intervention. And there's other instances when it's necessary to call an ambulance and that's if the person has not regained consciousness within five minutes of the seizure stopping, if the seizure occurs in water and the person is injured. And of course we always say if you're in doubt or you're unsure of the person's recovery. So there's, as long as there's somebody with them, all sorts of first aid measures can be taken to ensure that they're safe. That's right. That's right, and it's very, very basic, simple, one, two, three step first aid um, advice. And it's generally, stay, the first thing is stay calm and stay with the person. How can you be sure that it's what has occurred is an ep epileptic episode? Well, at times it can be very difficult to really know if the episode you've witnessed is a seizure. Generally, seizures last up to three minutes or so and the person returns to normal, although they may be confused or drowsy afterwards and want to sleep. But again, if the person is not known to have seizures or epilepsy, any episode should be fully investigated. It may be something just a faint, um, something quite easily explained, or investigations may go on to find that the person has actually had a seizure or has a predisposition to so to get them sorted out, you'd take them to their local GP or go to the local GP and would he, re he she refer them on to a specialist? Yes. Your local GP can report to them what's happened. The witness's report is often the most important thing for a doctor and he will then generally refer the person to a neurologist to have a, a range of simple tests to carry it out in the first instance and not one test can decide if a person has epilepsy or, or prove it. Um, the, the, the tests like a, an EEG or a CT scan help the doctor build the picture that the person's own experience, what, what they can remember, and the witness's report are critical and the doctor will rely heavily on that to assist his diagnosis. If someone's had a mild episode, are they likely to progress to a more serious type? Not always. Um, localised seizures 
can stay localised and that, that may be the only type of seizure that person has. But seizures which start in one half of the brain can spread to involve the whole brain and that results in a convulsive seizure. And in fact, many people do experience this. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols and I'm talking with Denise Chapman from Epilepsy Australia. Denise, we know there are several types of seizure, some of which used to be known as grand mal and petit mal. These names aren't used these days, but what's what? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it can be very confusing for people. The old terminology, grand mal, petit mal, literally meant big sickness or little sickness and did little to identify the various forms of seizures that people experienced. Any seizure that wasn't convulsive was referred to as petty mal. But today the international classification of seizures uses terms that more aptly describe the way the body is affected by the particular type of seizure. An example is the term tonic-clonic seizure, which was previously called a grand mal. The two words describe the two phases of a convulsive seizure. The first phase, or the tonic phase, describes the sudden tensing of muscles, the rigidity or stiffening we see when the seizure starts and the person falls, and then the convulsing movements that follow, and that's the rapid contraction and relaxation of the muscles, or the chronic phase of the seizure. And there are over 60 different seizure types, so, but some of the most common um, types of seizures or descriptions that you'll hear are simple partial seizures, which just start in one part of half of the brain and stay there. And they can affect a specific functions such as taste or smell or jerking of a limb. Then there's complex partial seizures, which again stay localised in one half of the brain, but impair consciousness and can cause unusual actions or behaviours. We have tonic seizures where the body's muscle tone is greatly increased and the body and the arms or the legs make sudden stiffening movements. And then the opposite of that is an atonic seizure where the muscle tone is lost, causing the person to collapse to the ground. And these seizures can also be referred to as drop attacks. And another seizure type often seen early teenage years can start around seven or eight years of age and go on is the myoclonic seizure and these are the brief shock-like jerks of muscles or a group in a muscle or a group of muscles and usually last no more than a second or two but they can can just have one but sometimes they can um, many will occur in a short time it's a bit like the when we're nodding off to sleep when watching television and we get that head nod or that awful jerk that we can't control and that's a myoclonic jerk. And of course the other one most common in children is the absence seizure which describes the, that brief period of conscious, unconsciousness when the person appears absent. Mm-hmm. So these terms are far more useful in helping people better understand what happens to them when they have a seizure and enables them to explain to family members and friends, teachers and employers for example what to expect if they have a seizure. If someone has definitely been diagnosed, are there any special things that can trigger a seizure? Yes, we do know that stress is probably one of the most common triggers for all seizure types, uh, along with lack of sleep. 
some people, although not all, will find that certain factors can induce or precipitate seizures. And these can be alcohol, illness or infection, dehydration, overheating, and for some women when their periods are due. And some people are particularly sensitive to flashing or strobe lights, the reflection of sun off water or light flickering through trees, and the fast-changing colours or shapes you often see in some computer games. But it's a very individual thing, and we do encourage people to keep a seizure diary and record any environmental factors that may have precipitated their seizure to see if a pattern emerges. Because once triggers are identified, then the person can learn strategies either to manage them or to avoid them in the future. In most cases, can the patient lead a normal life? Oh, absolutely. Most people with ep epilepsy go on to lead very full and productive lives. They are often more limited by the attitudes and misunderstandings of others than the epilepsy itself. I mean, we have some extremely well-known people, famous people with epilepsy over the years, including Sir Walter Scott, Edgar Allan Poe, Lord Byron, Tchaikovsky, Beethoven. We have actors such as Richard Burton, Michael Wilding, Danny Glover and our own Hugo Weaving. We have other famous Australians include historian Manning Clark and the Nobel Prize winner J. Robin Warren. So epilepsy is definitely not a bar to achievement. In some cases, can it be fatal? Well, there is a phenomenon known as sudden unexpected death in epilepsy and it can be referred to as SUDEP which is the name given to deaths that unexpectedly follow some seizures. And although it's uncommon, a person with epilepsy may die suddenly with no obvious cause of death. The cause of SUDEP is not well understood and estimates vary from 1 in 1,000 to 1 in 100 people with epilepsy. But the higher overall risk appears to relate directly to a high frequency of seizures and some research is continuing all the time. There's not as much as we would like to see, but it, it is happening. But the key factors that have been noted so far is a young adult, and that's the 18 to, say, 25, 30-year-old range, a presence of tonic-clonic seizures, seizures at night, and abrupt and frequent changes of medication in seizures in people whose seizures are not well-controlled or and what we do see in the young adult especially is suddenly stopping their medication because they don't really want to be taking it. But I think it's important to put it in its context. You know, deaths occur with many illnesses from food, asthma, mm -hmm. and we really emphasise that in epilepsy it is uncommon and that working to control any illness is the best way to minimise risk. And for people with epilepsy, this can be done by ensuring the seizures are correctly diagnosed, having regular medical reviews, learning about your epilepsy and telling your doctor if you're having seizures, even though you might want to hide them or don't want to admit that you're having them. It's important for him to know that. And following the treatment plan and asking for advice if you are having unpleasant side effects from your medication because there are quite a lot of medications now that can be changed to find one that suits that person better. And avoiding, identifying and avoid, avoiding triggers and giving 
accurate first aid information to those who might care for you in the event of a seizure. You mentioned about um, first aid training and information. How can the average person get hold of information? I mean, we have it available if someone has a heart attack. Is there such a training thing for epilepsy? There is. There's two forms of training that uh, Epilepsy Australia provides. One is an accredited training course, which is called Skills in Epilepsy Care and Management, and this is currently available in the ACT, Victoria and South Australia, and um, can be arranged to be conducted in New South Wales, and it's conducted in partnership with the Victoria University of Technology, and form is, is a module that uh, complies with the National Competency Unit. And so this can be an elective unit for people studying community services training packages, such as uh, Certificate 3 and 4 in Disability Work and Certificate 4 in Aged Care. There's also um, community and professional education programs that we offer, and any Epilepsy Australia affiliate has trainers and educators that can go into the workplace and conduct seminars, information sessions. These can be from one to two hours or can run over two days. We've spoken or gone into different areas of employment. Um, we provide workplace awareness, disability service providers, accommodation services, and other interested community groups. And we often speak to groups like Rotary and St John's Ambulance and, again, the Country Women's Association. Any group who is interested and would like someone to come and talk to them about epilepsy and give, run them through the seizure types and what to do in event of a, a seizure and the first aid procedures, we're more than happy to come out and speak to them. Can I have a phone number for that? Yes, the Epilepsy Australia National Helpline. It's 1300 852 853 and this will take you to the, your state or territory member association and they will be more than happy to accommodate any requests. They'd be delighted in fact. And I guess if people wanted to go onto the web and get some more information, it's... That's www.epilepsyaustralia.net. We encourage people to, um, to visit our website. There is first aid information readily available and a first aid poster can be downloaded from the website and... Um, the use in, at home or in the workplace. My guest today has been Denise Chapman. She's the Counselling Services Manager, Epilepsy Australia, New South Wales. Denise, thank you for being with me today and answering a lot of my questions. And until next week, I hope that all my listeners will join me again. And until then, this is Iris Nichols on behalf of us all, wishing you well. 